All right, here we are for Nursing 676. The topic is induction augmentation. This goes along with the PowerPoint, and it is podcast number three. It's going to start on slide. Give me a second. Give me a chance to get back to where I am on my slides. We are through Cook catheter, Foley bulb, and we're on slide number 54. Pitocin, which is synthetic oxytocin. So remember, oxytocin is produced in the hypothalamus and stored in the posterior pituitary. So oxytocin, in other words, the body's oxytocin, was discovered in 1909. Sir Henry H. Dale found that an extract from the human posterior pituitary gland con contracted the uterus of a pregnant cat. And what's interesting is oxytocin hormone is found virtually unchanged in every mammalian species. But you animal lovers, don't worry. Ours, the pitocin we use is completely synthetic. It is not harvested from cats or dogs or cows or horses or anything like that. So Sir Henry Dale named the unknown substance oxytocin using the Greek words for quick and birth. And then as early as 1911, physicians did begin using the pituitary extract to stimulate childbirth contractions. However, in 1953, a scientist named Duvigneault identified the nine amino acids and he synthesized the oxytocin compound. And it was the first synthesis of any peptide hormone. And his work resulted in a Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1955. So the half-life of Pitocin is seven to 10 minutes. And if you remember from pharmacology, when a drug has a short half-life, the good news is that it does leave the body fairly quickly. Slide number 55, you want to titrate Pitocin to adequate uterine activity. You're gonna start slow on Pitocin and you're gonna gradually go up and your goal is about three contractions per 10 minute interval that lasts 60 to 90 seconds and palpate moderate to strong. You want to titrate to the lowest dose compatible with adequate uterine activity. And you do want to have a physician available to perform a cesarean birth when you're using Pitocin. And keep in mind that when you're titrating to adequate uterine activity, consider not just what you're seeing what you're seeing on the monitor, but also what patients are feeling. They might palpate very mild, but the patient is perceiving them as moderate or vice versa. And also think about, does it look like they're making labor progress? Slide number 56, Pitocin is a high alert medication and it was labeled as such in 2007. And high alert medications are those drugs that have a heightened risk of causing significant patient harm when used in error. And for Pitocin, errors are most commonly dose-related, and there's a lack of timely recognition of that and a lack of appropriate treatment. So it's really important to utilize the use of protocols and guidelines to reduce inadvertent human error. Slide number 57. So when you look at your Pitocin protocols for induction of labor, look at what the dilution is. And often now it's nice because 
back in the day, we had to mix up our own Pitocin, but now there's a premix with 30 units in 500 milliliters of normal saline. And what that amounts to then is that there's one milliunit per minute will equal one milliliter per hour. So when you're talking about doses of Pitocin, talk about them in one milliunit per minute but then that nicely equates to one milliliter per hour. So when you're setting your pump, you can set it at one milliliter per hour, knowing that that will then equal one milliunit per minute. You want the starting dose to be one milliunit per minute, although some places you can start at two milliunits per minute. And you'll make incremental changes. So you increase by one or two milliunits every 20 to 30 minutes. Maximum dose typically is 20 milliunits, but check and see what it is for the facility where you're working. And some places will say up to 25 milliunits with consultation. Slide number 58. And for most institutions, you do want to continuously monitor Continuous external fetal monitor is recommended if risk factors for placental insufficiency are present. And honestly, for most places, you are going to continuously monitor. But think about what you might be able to do as far as telemetry monitor. There's no reason why people can't still be in the tub. There's no reason why people still can't be walking around. Slide number 59, Pitocin adverse effects. It's, there's an unpredictable maternal response. And so you don't necessarily know at what point is the uterus going to start to contract and what's gonna happen from there. The other thing that can happen, and it's a little bit like thinking about a parking lot. And when all of the parking spaces are filled, the rest of the cars just keep driving around looking for a parking spot. And that's a little bit like Pitocin if all of the receptors are filled, you can give, keep giving more and more Pitocin and nothing more is going to happen. So what sometimes providers will do is actually drop back on the Pitocin. So say you've been at 20 milliunits and not much is happening, not much change, actually dropping back to 10 milliunits per minute and then going back up. There's not a whole lot of science, but I think anecdotally this can help. Um, and it gives you something to do. So uterine tachycystole is the major adverse effect from Pitocin. And as you know, that's more than five contractions in 10 minutes. And you want to think of the average over 30 minutes. You can also have a decreased resting tone. So in other words, there's hypertonus between the contractions. It's not con completely relaxing. And think about what happens then to the fetus when you don't have that time in between contractions for adequate oxygenation. And that can lead to non-reassuring fetal heart rate. Slide number 60, what's gonna happen if you have tachycystole, particularly if you have tachycystole with fetal heart tones that are not good? Then you really want to consider doing all of these things quite quickly. You want to discontinue or decrease the Pitocin. Again, if you have, say, deep variables or late decelerations, 
then I would discontinue the Pitocin. Or if you have a bradycardia, if you have tachycystole and heart rate changes are not present, then consider decreasing the Pitocin. Oxygen has not really been shown to be helpful, but we still use it because it gives us something to do. Left side lying or other changes in maternal position. Consider internal monitoring with a fetal scalp electrode and an IUPC to see what's happening with the uterine contractions. Giving an, a fluid bolus can be helpful. And if there's no response, you want to consult, collaborate, make sure you give updates to your physician backup. Consider tocolytic agents. Most places will use terbutaline at a dose of 0.25 milligrams sub-Q. And consider then restarting Pitocin when the contractions space out. And there's no magic time for this, but you want to give that baby time to recover. And typically then when you restart the Pitocin, think about the half-life of Pitocin. You're going to not start at the dose where you stopped, but you're going to start either back at the beginning or perhaps a little bit higher than that. Slide number 61, the terrible and dreaded uterine rupture. This is typically going to happen if you have a uterus with a scar, although it has been known to happen in patients with no history of a uterine scar, but that is quite rare. There are dramatic signs and symptoms that can occur. Patients can get a sharp shooting pain with severe contractions and a tearing sensation, followed by then cessation of contractions as the uterus that's ruptured can't continue to contract. They can have vaginal bleeding, and then the presenting part can be then above the inlet and easily palpable because the, uter the fetus is actually outside or partially outside of the uterus. So these are the dramatic signs and symptoms. Slide number 62, there are a lot of not so dramatic signs. You can have a sudden change in the fetal heart rate. You can have signs and symptoms of shock. You can have vomiting, faintness, fetal bradycardia, prolonged deceleration, abdominal tenderness, hypotonic contractions. In other words, the contractions just aren't as strong and lack of progress and just a high presenting part. Slide 63, management of uterine rupture. It is an emergency. You'll want to consult immediately, stay calm, call for help from other people, nurses, midwives, etc. You want two IV lines and oxygen and prepare for cesarean birth. Slide number 64, another risk of prolonged Pitocin is hyponatremia. Um, which is water intoxication, which can lead to edema of the brain. So signs and symptoms of this would be headache, anorexia, nausea and vomiting, abdominal pain, lethargy, unconsciousness, confusion, grand mal seizure, coma, potentially irreversible neurologic injury, congestive heart failure, and death. So the management of this would be to discontinue the IV infusion of Pitocin, and consult. And if it's severe, you would in infuse hypertonic 3% saline very slowly. Slide number 65, 
Let's talk about just a couple of cases. Say you have a Gravita 1, para 0, she's 42 weeks gestation. She's been admitted for an induction with Pitocin. The Pitocin is now at 4 milliunits. She had a spontaneous rupture of membranes three hours ago. Contractions are every three minutes, lasting 30 seconds. They palpate moderate. Category 1 fetal heart tracing, and the patient is three centimeters. So I think what you'll probably want to know first is you want more information, don't you? You want to know, first of all, what was her cervix when she came in? Did she have any cervical ripening agents? Has her cervix changed? So we'll add to the story and say that when she first came in, she was one centimeter and she received Cytotec, 25 micrograms intravaginally times one. And the Pitocin was then started four hours later because remember, Pitocin don't start it until four hours after the last dose of Cytotec. And so then at that point, the cervix was two centimeters. Pitocin was started at four milliunits and it's now three hours later. I'm sorry, the Pitocin was started at one milliunit and now it's at four milliunits three hours later. So her cervix has gone from two centimeters to three centimeters. You probably also want to know what's happening with the effacement. So let's say her cervix has gone from 50% effaced to 90% effaced, and the fetal station has gone from minus one to zero station. The cervix is now anterior, and before it was more mid position, and the cervix is soft. You'll also want to ask me what's happening with the patient. How is she coping with the contractions? She's coping well, she's in the tub, she's on the telemetry monitor, and she's been drinking fluids orally. So what would you do with this patient? She's feeling the contractions, you were watching her breathe through them, and they're every three minutes lasting 60 seconds. And so my recommendation would be to see what happens. You might not need to raise the Pitocin past four milliunits. Every three minutes is pretty adequate. You might notice, say, an hour or two later that the contractions kind of space out, and then you're gonna to wanna to go up on the Pitocin again. But don't assume that you need to go up on the Pitocin if contractions seem to be adequate and the patient is making progress. So slide number 66 new patient. This patient is 37 weeks. She had a spontaneous rupture of membranes 26 hours ago, and her cervix is 5 centimeters. She did have a Foley bulb placed. Prior to that, her contractions are every 4 minutes, lasting 40 seconds, palpate moderate. The Pitocin is at 3 milliunits, and it was last increased an hour ago. So you probably have questions about her too. First of all, she is a multip. This is her second baby, and her cervix is five centimeters, but often after a Foley bulb, it can be five centimeters, but still fairly thick. So we're gonna say hers is 50%. Her contractions are every four minutes, lasting 40 seconds. They palpate moderate, but she said they're really not very, not very uncomfortable. Pitocin is at 3 milliunits. It was last increased an hour ago, and 
The Pitocin's been running now for three hours. So for her, I would say, especially because she has been ruptured now for 26 hours, I would go ahead and continue to increase the Pitocin for her because you don't really know that there's been a lot of progress made in her cervix with contractions. It was more from the mechanical ripening from the Foley bulb. Slide number 67, you have a G3P2. She's 41 weeks and six days. Contractions every two minutes lasting 60 seconds, palpate strong, cervix is seven centimeters, and the patient just spontaneously ruptured membranes for clear fluid. And the Pitocin is at eight milliunits. So some things you might wanna ask me is how's the baby doing? So you have a category one strip, so that's good. However, you do have contractions every two minutes lasting 60 seconds. So how many contractions is that in 10 minutes? That's five. This baby's essentially only getting 60 seconds of rest because the contractions are lasting 60 seconds and they're every two minutes. Plus her membranes just ruptured. So for her, I would say you could probably drop back on the Pitocin. I wouldn't necessarily shut it all the way off at this point because you've got a category one strip, but I would go back to maybe four milliunits and then see what happens if the contractions continue to be every two minutes, then go down some more. If the contractions space way out, then you might want to creep back up. If you go back up, you're not gonna go straight back up to eight milliunits. You're gonna go back by one milliunit again every half hour. Slide number 68. So you all read the commentary on the ARRIVE study. Some of you might have decided to read the whole ARRIVE study, but it was a multi-center RCT to evaluate induction versus expectant management and perinatal outcomes. Just as a reminder, 6,106 women were included and the primary outcomes were adverse perinatal outcomes and cesarean delivery. And it was all low-risk women who underwent induction of labor at 39 weeks had a lower risk of cesarean delivery, but no difference in perinatal outcomes. Slide number 69, some critiques. It was only very low risk women that were included. There was a high threshold for failed induction, 15 hours post rupture of membranes and concurrent oxytocin administration was considered failed induction. What surprises me about that is they still had a very low rate of cesarean, but that might have been because they really only included very low risk women. Um, the other thing we, I know we talked about was that 75% of patients who were approached about enrolling in the study refused enrollment. And the other thing to think about is there are cheaper, more evidence ways of avoiding primary cesarean births, things like midwives, things like doulas, things about like ambulation and water therapy and things like that. So there are a lot of ways that are not nearly as interventive to avoid primary cesarean births. And ACNM, which you know is our organization, ACOG, which is obstetrician and gynecologist, and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, or SMFM, have all agreed that no 
broad sweeping change in practice is appropriate at this time. Slide 70, or our summary, avoid elective induction of labor. No induction of labor before 39 weeks unless medically indicated. Document your counseling, document your consent, document Bishop's score. You want a favorable cervix. Remember a favorable cervix of a bishop of eight, you have as good a likelihood of a spontaneous birth as spontaneous labor. Considering, consider a ripening agent if you don't have a, a favorable cervix. Remember, if you have a prior cesarean or other uterine scar, you do not use any prostaglandins, but you do have your mechanical methods of ripening your Cook catheter or Foley balloon. You want to allow adequate time for labor induction. And here I'm going to add a little caveat that you want to allow adequate time for labor induction. But if you are inducing, you don't necessarily want to mess around for ages and ages. Think about how you can facilitate labor. So it's this dance between pushing too quickly and not pushing quickly enough. And you'll figure that out as you go along. But you also don't want days and days and days of induction because you've not been doing things to move the process along. And making sure that you're counseling patients in a way that is respectful of them and their desires and really patient-centered. And that's the end of your three-part podcast, your one PowerPoint for induction slash augmentation of labor.